0: come as a group and worship you together, Lord. We know other places, folks are not able, don't have that privilege together, Lord. And we just don't ever want to take that privilege lightly. Lord, we pray for this time now as we commit it unto you, Lord, that you would give us what we need and give us the ability, the boldness to go out into a lost and dying world and tell others about you. For us in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, J.T., and thank you, singers, musicians. That was beautiful. And thank you, choir. By the way, didn't you enjoy the choir? Amen. Yeah, praise the Lord. It really sounded good to hear them again, didn't it? And uh, so thank you, choir, for your work, and we're looking forward to that great program next Sunday night. Well, you see, we're still in our study on Russia and Armageddon. So turn in your Bibles today to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. This is the longest sermon that Jesus preaches on prophecy. Two chapters, chapter 24 and 25. And uh, you remember, of course, we're in that kind of subtitle that I gave it, Mercy... In the time of judgment. And though the tribulation is a time of judgment. And that's what we normally think of first. It is primarily a time of redemption. A time of salvation. And mercy. And grace. You know Peter would say. God is not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. And Paul would say. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus said about himself, The Son of Man comes to seek and to save that which is lost. So in the tribulation period, God still wants to save the lost. And Jesus is still seeking and saving people during the tribulation period. And as I've said the last few weeks, I think it's the greatest time of revival and evangelism uh, in uh, the history of mankind. Well, with that said, now let's look at just two verses here. Keep your Bibles open. We'll come back to them. Verse 31 of Matthew 25. Jesus speaking. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all His holy, holy angels with Him, then shall He set up on the throne of His glory. And before Him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together today. Make it profitable. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know what prompted, of course, this study was when Russia invaded Ukraine and we were all wondering how that might fit into Bible prophecy. prophecy. And of course, prophecy has a lot to say about Russia. And so it does fit and it does give us some insight and so forth. And I've been giving you a little update from every week and I know you see this on the news too, most of you that now there's over 10 million people displaced out of Ukraine and the UN now has raised the number of of citizens that have been killed to over a thousand and those who have been wounded two thousand But it then admits that that number could be much much larger and of course Ukraine themselves the government of Ukraine says that numbers you know closer to five thousand and uh, so uh, many lives have been lost you know our missionaries to uh, that are members of our church that are in Romania, the Andersons, Chris and Faith and their seven children. They've taken in some of those refugees. And, uh, and then, this past week, they got some information. That is, the refugees did. They got information from their government, the Ukrainian government, that said the war could last from seven to eight years. And that was heart-wrenching for this, this group of ladies. And so one one of the ladies who has the child she decided she would go back to Ukraine. If it's going to last that long she wanted to go back to be with her husband and her and her sons you know the the uh, young men stayed to fight and husband stayed to fight and with other family members and then before the week was out the other two ladies decided they'd go back as well. So as of this morning all three of the women and the child are headed back to Ukraine into the battle, into the war zone because they want to be with their family and help their families and so forth and so we've been asked to pray for them and then last night before they left the Andersons had gathered some information and gospel uh, presentations that were in Russia uh, Russian and Ukrainian, and so they uh, they shared the gospel with these ladies before they left uh, that last evening, and then they gave them that literature to take with them that's written in their own language, and so they ask us to pray that they would come to know the Lord personally as their Savior. So let's pray for them, Father. We do pray for these three ladies. And this child that you would keep them safe As they travel back into this war zone And that They would say yes to you Lord Jesus and your great love And you would redeem them by your Precious blood we pray We pray that many people In the Ukraine Will come to you as Savior We pray again That you would protect the innocent That are in This terrible situation In Ukraine give our World leaders wisdom to try to find a Some kind of peaceful solution we pray We lay it at your feet In Jesus name Amen Amen Now before we come back to our text I want to give you some background uh, Information to remind you of some things This first screen you've seen before But I want to remind you this is where we are We're talking this is stage number seven In the war of Armageddon and uh, it is uh, the salvation of Jews and Gentiles You remember the 144,000? They, they will come to Christ early in the tribulation period And they will be preaching during the first three and a half years And then the, the end of the last three and a half years as well And they will all eventually be martyred We see them the second time we see them We see them in heaven And then, then we see a great multitude in heaven and the scripture tells us these are people who came out of the great tribulation. Uh, and it's a multitude of every tongue and tribe and nation and people group. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it's a, it's a group so huge you can't even number them. And all of them got saved during the tribulation period. Probably, at least originally, responding to that 144,000 uh, Jews who were evangelizing. And then we saw the uh, two witnesses last week. They share their witness of Christ in the second half, and they have supernatural power. Now remember, when the second half of the tribulation comes, there'll there'll be a lot of uh, supernatural things going on from the Antichrist and, and from the false prophet, both of them energized and empowered by Satan. But uh, the two witnesses as well will have supernatural power. They will die, if you remember. They'll be killed by the Antichrist. And then they'll be resurrected right in front of the whole world watching them on the news. And then, uh, then we saw some angels preaching. Uh, the only time in the history of man angels are preaching the gospel because the Lord Jesus said, Everybody has to hear before the end comes. And so they're preaching to every single person So they can hear uh, the gospel Now today we're going to look at the judgment of Israel and the nations Particularly the nations And that takes place after the tribulation Now I want to give you some background information And some chronological information to bring us up to where we are So look at your screen again I'm going to run through these rather quickly I put together some biblical resurrections The first one of course is the resurrection of Christ He's the first fruit of of the uh, resurrections that are to come. Now, we know that there have been singular resurrections. In the Old Testament, some people were raised from the dead. In Jesus' ministry, three people were raised from the dead. Lazarus had been dead four days. And some people were raised from the dead. When Jesus came forth, there were some people raised from the dead there, too. They probably, as far as we understand, they had to die again. But uh, some of them. And then we, we see the two witnesses. They were raised from the dead as well. But the resurrections I'm talking about in this chart that I put together for you is, um, is the main resurrection. The resurrections where there's going to be a great number of people that will be resurrected and stand before the Lord. So let's look at these quickly. Uh, resurrection of Christ. But then you have, second, the resurrection... At the rapture of the church That's going to take place in the twinkling of an eye and the dead shall be raised incorruptible And be with the Lord forever and ever And that's before the tribulation begins now Then you have the resurrection of the Old Testament saints And uh, Daniel chapter 12 says that's going to take place after the tribulation So it doesn't take place with the New Testament saints The Old Testament saints are raised after the tribulation. And then the, uh, the fourth is the resurrection of tribulation saints. People who die during the tribulation. They're going to be raised in a glorified body after the resurrection. Now there's not just one general resurrection and one general judgment. Like, uh, like Dr. Warren Wearsby used to love to say, the Bible knows nothing about a general judgment. These, these resurrections and judgments take place in different times with different groups. But these resurrections here are all a part of the first resurrection. So don't get confused by my numbers. I put my numbers up there so we could understand the divisions. But Jesus said in John 5, Don't don't marvel that one day all that are in the grave shall hear the voice of the Son of God and shall come forth, some to everlasting life, and some to everlasting judgment or condemnation, or as the King James says, damnation. So there are basically two divisions of resurrection. But the first resurrection has three parts. So bear with me. Three parts in that resurrection of life. And all three of them are right here on this one page for you. So 2, 3, and 4 is actually parts 1, 2, and 3 of the first resurrection. Which is the resurrection of life. And then there's a fifth, and that's the resurrection of unbelieving dead to stand at the great white throne this is the this is unbelievers all that have ever lived will be resurrected and stand before the great white throne this is the second resurrection so all three of those others were combined in the first and this is the second now judgments let's think of judgments along the same line uh, we have the judgment of Christ on the cross that is the penalty for my sins and your sins were poured out on him. He was punished for us. He, he took our judgment on himself. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. So there's the judgment. now. But when I'm going to talk about these judgments again, God has judged people down through the ages. He judged the earth with the flood. And he judged Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone. He judged the children... Uh, of uh, Egypt or the Egypt with uh, with the plagues. But I'm talking about judgment when great numbers of people appear before God in His throne. So let me give you those judgments just quickly. The second one is the judgment seat of Christ. After you and I as believers are caught up to meet the Lord before the tribulation we're going to be judged not to see if we go to heaven or not We're all going to go to heaven. Everybody, Jesus isn't going to lose one of his sheep, is he? We're going to all be in heaven, but we'll be judged according to the way we've served the Lord, if we've been faithful to him. And that's for rewards. We might lose rewards or gain rewards, but everybody there is going to heaven. And then you have the judgment of the Old Testament and tribulation saints. Now, this is not made really clear, but we know that the Old Testament says that, that people will be judged. I mean, somehow, Moses and Abraham and Elijah and Elisha, somehow they they're got to receive their rewards. And so we know their resurrection takes place after the tribulation. So, in all likelihood, the understanding is that's when they will be judged. But they're all, this is all saved people as well. Old Testament saints, people who have been saved. Tribulation saints, people who have been saved. So there's a judgment for them. And now there's a judgment for Satan, and there's a judgment of angels and all that. But we're talking about large groups of people, remember. And then there's the judgment of the living, mortal, Israel. Now think about this. A lot of people in Israel are going to live through the tribulation period they're going to be judged, and they're going, to have a, they're going to stand in judgment with a body just like me and you, just like we have right now, a mortal body. And uh, we see that in the, the references you see there. And then this is the one that pertains to our uh, text today. There is the judgment of living mortal Gentiles. Again, this is Gentile people who lived through the tribulation. They made it to the end. And now they stand in judgment. They're in a mortal body. And they stand before the Lord Jesus as he just described for us in verse 31 and 32 of chapter 25. And then there's one more judgment. And that is the judgment of the unbelieving dead at the great white throne. That's after that resurrection of all the lost. And uh, they will stand before Jesus and be judged and cast into the lake of fire, the Scripture says. Now, with that said, I want you to think with me from the Scripture again. Now, I want to read just a few verses out of chapter 24. So turn back to chapter 24 for a minute. And let's pick up the first of this sermon of Jesus. Look at verse 3 to start with. And as he, that's Jesus, sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Boy, I tell you, those are questions that people have been asking since the beginning of time, isn't it? When is the end of the world? Jump to verse 6 and part of Jesus answering. He, and uh, ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence. And the word pestilence could be translated pandemic, pandemics. And earthquakes in divers or various places, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Now jump down to verse 14, and the gospel, remember this is still Jesus preaching on prophecy, and the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Verse 15, When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoever readeth, let him understand." Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. And then he says, Don't come down from your house and so forth to get your, pa- uh, pack your clothes. Just head for the woods, for the wilderness, for the mountains, hiding from the Antichrist and his crew. Look at verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation. Great tribulation. That's the last three and a half years of the, of the seven-year tribulation period. Then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Look at verse 27. And as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth in the west, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Amen? Amen. Amen. Then look at verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He's coming back, isn't He? He is. Well, then when we get to ver- chap- uh, chapter 25, we have the judgment of the, of the Jewish nation of, of Israel. And then we have, uh, that's in the first 30 verses... And it's told in two parables. The parable of the ten virgins. Ten were, five were ready, five were not ready. The ones that were not ready didn't have any oil. They didn't. That's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. They were not born again. They were religious, but they, were not, they didn't have the Spirit. And uh, so only half of them got to go. And then it's the parable of the talents. And uh, that parable uh, ends in verse 30 look at verse 30 and of the, ones, the one who did not use his opportunity was cast it says cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth there's the judgment of Israel now we come to verse 31 which is our text and we have the judgment of the nations Let me show you two more slides that I think will be helpful to you. I I asked the question, how many people are going to be at this judgment? Is this a big judgment? I mean, how many people are going to live through the tribulation and so forth? And I just did some speculating. And I thought you might want to speculate with me a little bit. Look at at your next screen here. Uh Uh-oh. Turn it off and back on. There we go. The world's population. Uh, today, there's 8 billion people in the world. Now, that's not exactly right. I rounded it up a little bit. It won't be 8 million till next year, 2023. It's very close to 8 million. And within that 8 million is 15.2 million Jews today. Now, the Jews will be judged in the first part of this chapter... The Gentiles, the second part, but both take place after the tribulation. And so there's 8 billion on earth. Now, let's say that when the rapture comes, a billion Christians around the world are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the twinkling of an eye. I'm going to be part of that, are you? Amen. Amen. And uh, so 1 billion minus 1 billion leaves 7 billion. And then you subtract 2 billion who are going to die in this war, which we're told about in Revelation chapter 6, it really comes to 1.7, but I rounded it off to 2 to make the math easy. So uh, 2 billion will die in the war. That's going to equal 5 billion. Now 5 billion people are left on earth. And uh, then we have, let's say, 1 billion people are martyred. Do you remember? If you don't take the mark of the beast the troops of the Antichrist are going to hunt you down, put you in prison, just like they did the Jews during the Holocaust, and they'll eventually shoot you or gas you or kill you somehow. And uh, so let's say, let's say there's a billion martyred during that time. Again, we're just, we're just guessing at some numbers so we can get, get the uh, general idea of this in our heads. So, 1 billion martyred, that leaves 4 billion people on earth when Christ returns. That's the same number that was on earth in 1974. The whole population of the earth in, in, in uh, 1974 was 4 billion. So, we have increased in an unbelievable rate since that time. Now, I want us to think about the millennial kingdom. This is important. You say, why is this important? Well, people often say to me, how is Satan going to be loosed at the end of the thousand-year period? How is he going to gather an army to come against Christ when everybody that came into the kingdom was saved to start with? And so here's, here's how that happens. Let's say there are four billion when Jesus comes. Now, let's think about the millennial population. That's during the thousand-year reign. Let's say 2 billion people enter to start with. Remember, there's 4 billion, but only 2 billion get in because we're going to see he separates the goats from the sheep and only only the sheep get in. The goats don't get in. So let's say half get in. And again, that's a speculation. It could be way the other way or way uh, another way. But that's kind of a general thought, so we can wrap our minds around it. So 2 billion at the start, and they're in their mortal living bodies, just like you and I have right now. But that's the same number that was in 1927. In the whole world, 1927, was only 2 billion people. So in, it, that increased that much in 95 years. So we're going to round the 95 off to 100. You with me? N- Nod your head like this. Yeah, okay. So we're going to round that off to 100. 2 billion people. So in the, in the, by the first 100 years of the millennial kingdom, that 2 billion, if, if, the, uh, if the population growth continues like it is now, it could be higher because it's going to be a, a perfect kingdom, you know. But if it continues like it is now, there'll be 8 billion people in the first hundred years. We'll be back up to where we are now on the earth. That means, now this is the important part, that means six billion people, they have to trust Christ as their Savior. They're born with a sin nature. They're born as a little baby. They grow up and they have to hear the gospel. They have to say, Yes, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and uh, be saved. The ones that are not saved... They, they can decide not to be saved. That's the ones that will be gathered when Satan gets out of the bottomless pit at the end of the millennial kingdom. And let's add one more thought to this. And that is, if you take that uh, times 4, if it multiplies by 4 and, and brings the 2 to 8, in another 100 years, that'll bring the 8 to 32 billion Wow, this is a thousand-year reign. You say, preacher, you're not figuring in people dying. Well, I know I'm not because there's going to be longevity again like it was at the beginning. People are going to live to be uh, extremely old and many evangelical scholars believe that no, no believers will die during the millennial kingdom. They'll live through the whole thousand years. Uh, so there's not. if there are some deaths, there's not many deaths. It's not worth calculating in. So by the second hundred year of the millennial kingdom, then you have 30 billion people who need salvation. There's only 8 billion in the world today, in the whole world. But 200 years into the millennial kingdom, there's going to be 30 billion that need salvation. So Satan's going to have a big group to choose from. Now, we don't know how many, it seems to me that many, many of them, if not most of them, would probably come to Christ as Savior in a perfect kingdom like He will have. But one thing this teaches us, and I think this is one thing the Bible is teaching us, that even in a perfect environment, man is still sinful in his core. And uh, even in a perfect environment, people will choose to reject Christ and will leave themselves open to the deception of Satan at the end of the millennial kingdom. Now, let's go back to our text. And uh, this is at the end of the tribulation period. And uh, verse 31, The Son of Man, Jesus is speaking, shall come in His glory and all His holy angels with Him. Then shall He set upon the throne of His glory, and before Him they shall gather all nations. Now that word nations there can be translated nations but it can be translated Gentiles most of the time in the King James it's translated Gentiles not nations so it's the Gentile nations but this is not going to be a judgment like it's not going to be you know Russia gets judged and the US gets judged it's going to be a judgment of individuals of those nations individual Gentiles and again Gentiles is everybody who's not a Jew And so the whole rest of the world, we're all Gentiles, unless you're Jewish. And then it says, so the nations, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And this is people made it through the tribulation, standing before the Lord Jesus in a body just like ours, a mortal body, awaiting their judgment. Wow. Wow. This is a passage that often people call is a a general judgment. But we've seen there are many judgments. And there is no general judgment. This is a particular group of people. Gentiles who lived through the tribulation. And then uh, verse 33. And he shall say unto the sheep on his right hand. Uh, uh, He shall have set the sheep on the right hand But the goats on his left Then shall the king say unto them On the right hand Come ye blessed of my father Inherit the kingdom prepared for you From the foundation of the world Wow All the the sheep on his right hand The sheep on his right hand He's going to say come into the kingdom So they're going to come into the millennial kingdom Just like they are there, I, and I'm just, I'm just kind of playing with a thought here. It's like here's a line drawn in the sand. I'm getting judged, and he says I can go through. And when I step over that line in the sand, I'm in the millennial kingdom. <laughs> wow. Think about that. And, so, and it's prepared. It was prepared. God knew who was going to be there before the foundation of the world, didn't he? And, uh, and so it's been prepared for them before the foundation of the world. And then look at verse 35. For I was hungered, and you gave me no meat or food. I was thirsty, and you gave... Uh, I'm sorry, not no meat. I'm sorry, let me start that over again. I was a hungered, and you gave... Uh, hung, hungry... The hungered, King James. And you gave me... Meat, the word meat is an old English word that just means food, all kinds of food. Uh, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in, like refugees. And uh, he said, uh, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous... Answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee uh, hungry, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? And when saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of these least of my brethren excuse me <coughs> as much as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren ye have done it unto me wow what a beautiful scene one thing that comes to our mind immediately is that on a casual reading of this, it looks like their salvation is based on works because they did good things and good works, therefore they get to go into heaven. And you can see where people who believe you get to heaven by good works would use this passage to propagate their, uh, their doctrine and their, their thoughts. But uh, nothing could be further from the truth. Here's some thoughts to help us understand why the obvious here is not true. The first rule of interpreting the Bible, the first rule of, uh, of uh, Bible interpretation is never interpret the obvious by the obscure. But you always interpret the obscure by the obvious. Now, let me clarify that a little bit. A hundred times or more in the Bible, the Bible says, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved. Have faith in the Lord Jesus. Call on Him as your Lord. And so the the Bible says over and over again, clearly, that uh, we are saved by faith in Christ. And it even is strongly objects to the idea of being saved by works. Titus says, uh, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy hath he saved us. And Paul says, uh, uh, you are, By grace are you saved through faith. and That not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, if these people get here by works, they can pat each other on the back, pat themselves on the back, say, boy, we we did good, didn't we? But Paul said in Romans, nobody's going to do that, not before God. So first, we have to compare it to the whole rest of Scripture. And then secondly, we compare it to James chapter 2, where James says, faith without works is dead. He said, what James is saying, and he uses quite a few verses in there to explain it, that if, if you have real, genuine faith, it will show up in the way you live. Real faith shows up in the way you live. These people had real faith because they risked their lives. Now think about it. The Antichrist and his, uh, his armies are looking for people who didn't take the mark and they're going to put them to death and if you harbor one of them, you'd be in trouble yourself. And if you harbor them and you don't have the mark, which you, which you don't, uh, you'd be put to death as well. So they risk their lives to help Jesus' brethren. By the way, who's the brethren? That's the Jewish people who believe. Remember, there's 15 million on earth today. Many of them are going to believe. And they're going to be the focal point of uh, the Antichrist attack, and Jesus said they're going to go out into the you know, mountains and wilderness, and they're going to be looking for food, and some of these other believers here are going to help those believers. They're going to feed them, and they're going to house them and clothe them, and so forth. So, this is not the uh, root of their salvation, their good works. Their good works are the fruit of their salvation. Two other words to consider. And that's the word righteous. They're called righteous in verse 37. Then shall the righteous answer him. And then they're called righteous again down in verse 46. Look at verse 46. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into, eternal, uh, into life eternal. So he calls these ones on his right hand Righteous. But the Scripture says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Isaiah says, the best we can do, our righteousness before God is like filthy rags. So how can these people be righteous then? Because, just like you and I, they've been declared righteous because they've received Christ as Savior, and and, uh, therefore the righteousness of Christ has been imputed unto them, just like me and you. It's the only way you can be righteous. And then the word sheep. He calls them sheep. (laughs) Jesus said in John 10, My sheep hear my voice, they follow me. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Amen? Amen? This is just another group of his sheep. And uh, he's given to them eternal life. They've, they've, they've trusted him and following him, and he's given them eternal life. So these are people saved just like, just like you and I. They're saved by grace, saved by faith in Christ, and they've been redeemed. And now they're standing before God, before the Lord Jesus, as his sheep. Now look at verse 41. Then shall he say also unto them... On the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. The kingdom was prepared for believers, but hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, not for mankind. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But those who choose to reject Christ and follow Satan will go where Satan goes into everlasting fire. Look at verse 42. For I was uh, hungry, and you gave me no meat; or food I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in; naked, and you clothed me not; sick, and you uh, and in prison sick and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they Answer him and say, Lord, when saw we you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? He said, Then shall he answer and say, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you did it not unto the least of these, you did it not unto me. These are sobering words. Now again This is not a work salvation I, I remember Years ago on the marathon Where they would raise money for Special needs people and so forth And I, th- I think it was a tremendous Worthy cause But they often used this passage I don't know if you remember this or not It was it a was pretty regular part of the Of the yearly uh, Fundraising drive on TV And And uh, They would give you the idea that if you didn't give to their cause and help people, you weren't going to make it to heaven. They they took these verses and kind of used it as a scale to say, does your good outweigh your bad? You better give us a lot of money so your good will outweigh your bad, you know. But this has nothing to do with me and you. Jesus took our judgment on the cross, amen? And so... uh, this is, for, this is between those who have li- lived through the tribulation, the saved and the lost, the sheep and the goat. Now, last verse, verse 46. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. By the way, the two Greek words that are translated differently in verse 46... One is everlasting and one is eternal. Everlasting and eternal. But in the Greek, they're the exact same word. So there's, there's no distinction made by God himself in those two words. They're just translated in the King James separately. And of course, they're still synonyms, so it's a good translation. They're still synonyms. But I want you to see that the, the everlasting life in heaven means forever and ever and ever, right? So the everlasting punishment means forever and ever and ever. He uses the exact same word. Be sure. Be sure you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've called on Him as your Lord and Master. You know, Hebrews tells us, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of Son is. But even more so, as you see the day approaching, gather together in the church. You know, we need each other. God has ordained the local church for a reason. We need each other, and especially in difficult times. And uh, so he says, don't forsake it. And as you see that day approaching, what day? The day of his coming. Do you think we can see the stage being set for his coming? I think we can. And as we see the day approaching all the more we should be right here together, worshiping together, serving together, helping each other, loving each other, encouraging each other. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together. Bless now your word to our heart. May everybody here know for sure they belong to you, Lord Jesus, so that when you call us up in the rapture, we'll all go up together, and it'll be glorious and wonderful, and we praise you for it. Speak to us now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand, please, if you would. We're going to sing together. And as we